Hi, my name's Andy, and thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace Community Church, we have a mission and purpose. Our goal is to point people towards Jesus. If you are looking for a church, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. There are a couple different ways for you to start getting connected to Grace. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and more information about service times and smaller groups can be found at ohiograce.com. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. These times are 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace. Today we're honoring law enforcement, and uh, as you can see, it's, it's no secret here. And you wouldn't believe how long it takes to completely disassemble a police car and then bring it in and reassemble it. But yeah, we wouldn't know that either, would we? So no, um, it was not that tough. But uh, we, earlier this year, we had heard that our, uh, one of our local police departments, our closest police department um, at, uh, at Fremont, needed a, a few things, and one of those things was uh, a new kitchen. Uh, they had this little hole in the wall kind of a kitchen, and I think we have some pictures of that, and, and uh, that didn't have much room, and there was only so much we could do with the space, but uh, uh, David Stacy got a crew together, which included uh, Jason Pooster and Troy Clapp was, was there, I know, and uh, and they really, uh, Scott England was there and put in a, a new kitchen there and they're really excited about that. Lowe's, Jason has kind of a connection with Lowe's. They gave us actually 30% off the stuff that we put in there, which was appliances and counters and cabinets. And uh, we just wanted to let our police department know that we appreciate them. And so that was a tangible way that we can do that. So didn't they do a great job? And then we also wanted to recognize um, any of the police officers that are in our services today. So if you are a part of a law enforcement agency as an officer or on staff, we would like you to stand so we can show you our appreciation. If you'd like to stand right now. We have something for you. And we thank you for being here. And uh, what, uh, what agency do you represent? Sorry? Willard. Great. Wow. We appreciate you being with us all the way from Willard. Thank you very much. And uh, we invite you, you know, to hang next service to, or at least the beginning of it, and where we think there'll be a lot more of our, our police departments here. Thank you for being with us this morning. You can be seated. We appreciate you. We, we appreciate the thin blue line that... Uh, that keeps us protected. And, and later, we're going to read uh, the verse that was on that plaque as we, we go through this series, this, this topic today, as we wrap up Ecclesiastes. Some of you know that uh, last week, Pam and I were in Colorado. I grew up there, and we went back there and got to spend some time in the mountains. And because of our topic is fool's gold, which has everything to do with us chasing the wrong stuff, which is what Ecclesiastes is all about, written by Solomon, He's warning us about that. Well, while I was there, I did some, some uh, gold panning. Anybody do that? So I had gotten some pans and went up to a, a high mountain stream up above Salida. 
Actually, I did this in a few streams. But, uh, but I was up there panning for gold, and guess what? I got nothing. <laughs> so I, as a kid up in the mountains, I came away some, with some fool's gold, and I knew what that looked like. I didn't even get fool's gold. I got nothing. And uh, just a couple of little itty-bitty flakes that were so small I couldn't even have any way of capturing them. So not, not a good start. And, and while I was there, I was thinking, man, th this is really turning out bad. And you know, I, was maybe, I was there with my oldest daughter, and we had hiked up to a waterfall, and we were doing this. And then I realized, you know, 150 years ago, there were probably hundreds of men on this very stream panning for gold because they were all looking for, for riches. I mean, that was the way. That was the gold rush. We had one, you know, on the East Coast and the Appalachians and then out in California, then in the Rockies. You know, people thinking that, man, if I could strike it rich, that will take care of everything. And that will bring satisfaction. That will, that will be what I need. It, it'll bring fulfillment. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Solomon is talking to us about in this book called Ecclesiastes. Solomon, he was the son of David, Israel's greatest warrior king. And, and no doubt he grew up with people saying, whoa, I, man, whoa, I remember your dad when he defied the armies of the Philistines. You know, whoa, 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 Solomon, I, I remember your dad when he took out Goliath, their champion warrior, single-handedly. He was just a teenager. So he probably grew up knowing all those things. And then David, who had had many sons, saw the wisdom that Solomon had, because Solomon was not his oldest son. And then David determined that the throne should go to him. And then when Solomon was chosen by David to take over the throne at the end of David's life, Solomon then asked God for wisdom and God gave Solomon even more wisdom to the point when Solomon, after he took the throne, he had world-renowned wisdom where kings all over the earth were traveling to Israel, many kings, and, and ex, at the very least one queen, let me not forget her, but kings came to hear Solomon to learn from him. That was his reputation. Other kings from all over the world. And here now, Ecclesiastes is written at the end of, the, of his life, and he's basically saying, hey, I've lived my life. I've, I've done all these things that wasn't always the right thing, but I've chased and I've searched for satisfaction and fulfillment. And he's basically going to say, you cannot find that apart from God. But at the end of his life, he's saying, hey, I've got some wisdom for you. I am going to drop some wisdom on you before I go, so you don't have to wait to the end of your life to figure all this stuff out. And that's exactly what he does. And so we're wrapping up Ecclesiastes, and he confronts us with the answers to life's biggest questions. And, and the biggest question in life is basically, you know, why am I here? What's it all about? Kind of question. I don't know about you, but, and maybe it's because I'm getting older, but more, and I did this occasionally when I was younger. Do you ever, maybe you see your child or your child in a crib, your newborn, or you see your kids playing, or now Pam and I have 
three grandkids. Our oldest grandchild just turned three yesterday, Toby. And, and so, you know, you're, you're just watching your grandkids plan. And do you ever just kind of have this, one of these out-of-body experiences kind of where you're just sitting there watching some scene fold out and you have a little time to think and you're thinking, wow, you know, generations come and go. Life is just flying. And you kind of, you know, what, what's it all about? What, what's going on? Anybody ever do that? And you think, wow, life just flies. And in that kind of a context, along with that comes sort of a question, am I doing this right? Am I taking care of business? Am I living the way that I should live? Am I fulfilling the whole point, the reason why I'm even here? And this is the question that Solomon is zoning in on. I mean, he is drilling down on this issue. And we know, and, and philosophers would say that we actually talked about this four weeks ago, um, those four major questions of existence, which is, where did I come from? Where am I? It's like anybody who can think, if they do think a little deeply, then, then they're going to have these kinds of questions. Where did I come from? The question of origin. Where am I going? The question of destiny. You know, why am I here? Question of purpose. And how should I live? Those four questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? How should I live? And the answers to all those questions have to be consistent. Because they depend on one another. When you answer, where am I going? Well, a lot of times that'll depend on the answer to, where did I come from? And so they all stack like building blocks if they're consistent. But if they're not consistent, then they just you know, fall like a house of cards and they don't add up. And, and that's what we wanted people to, to kind of see. Because if you're, if you're thinking that I, I just came from nothing or chance, well then, if you think you're your origin is insignificant, it was just an accident, and you think your destiny is insignificant, you're just going to fertilize, well, then have the guts to say that your life is insignificant. Because that's, that's the logical conclusion to all that. So here's how Christians answer those four questions. Again, we've already been over this. Where did I come from? I've been created by God like everyone else. Where am I going? I will spend eternity either with God or apart from God in heaven or in hell. Well, then why am I here? I'm here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, then how shall I live? And, and Solomon wraps up with this. We'll get to that in a minute. Fear God and keep His commandments. Or, or another way of saying that is to respect God and want to follow Him with your life. So those answers are all consistent as a Christian. The question is, if you're not all in on Christianity, then what are your answers and how do you answer that? How would you answer the question, why am I here? Or what is it all about? Or do I have a purpose? I mean, because you got you to figure that out. And basically, we, we've worked through this over the last four weeks that there's three ways to answer this question. And I want to just review that. And the first way to answer that is, is an illogical way of answering. It's the naturalistic, illogical answer. And let me explain what that is and why it's illogical. 
By naturalistic, I mean some people believe, you know, God's out of the picture. So that might be an atheist. They say, well, there is no God. This is all there is. That's a purely naturalistic philosophy, meaning nature is all there is. There's nothing beyond nature. Or a naturalistic philosophy can be lived out. You, you can be a raging atheist, or you could be kind of a bland agnostic, which basically says, well, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I know we can't know him, so it really doesn't matter. Well, then you're living out a naturalistic way of life as well. So w either way, you're saying God is really not in the picture. And the problem with that, the failed logic part of that, is that all of us, even atheists and agnostics, have this persistent internal conviction that people should do certain things and should not do other things, which we call morality. And, and the point is, well, if you have that, that view that people should do some things and should not do other things, that's inconsistent with your own belief if you're a naturalist because if we're all here by chance, by a chance mutation, we just ended up here, then, then that's a disconnect. Because if it's all by chance, if it's just for survival of the fittest, as we said a few weeks ago, whether we love our neighbor or whether we eat our neighbor, it really doesn't matter in that system because there is no right or wrong. It's just whatever somebody thinks is right or wrong. And, and we even talked about the, the, today the confusion of a typical high school student in America today who might be sitting in a biology class and ask the teacher, you know, teacher, where do we come from? And the teacher will say, well, according to evolution, you know, we came by chance in a series of random mutations, and then it was survival of the fittest, and here you are. And then the next logical question then, well, then where am I going? Well, you're, when your body dies, it will fuel other organisms. You know, you'll, you'll just be kind of fertilizer. Well, then why am I here? Now, and here's the breakdown. Because teachers will tend to say, following that logic, while you're here, there is no reason. It's just blind luck. But teachers will tend to, the first two questions, there's no God, no morality, God's not in the picture. But when they answer the second two questions, they feel something inside of them that wants to add morality. So they'll say something, well, well why are you here? Well, you know, you're here to enjoy yourself but also to live a good life and be a good citizen or, or be nice to other people or do whatever you want, but don't hurt anybody. Okay, we'll stop right there. Enjoy yourself makes perfect sense for a naturalistic philosophy. But as soon as you introduce some sort of morality, it's like, where did that come from? Where are you getting that? Who says that I should be nice to other people? Why? That does not follow from the answers of one and two. If I'm just worm food and I'm just an accident, then who says I should be nice to other people? And then, of course, how should I live? You see, it all breaks down. It's inconsistent when we introduce morality, morality in that way 
in a naturalistic society. So, so it's no wonder students in America are so confused. How does, how does that kind of logic that, that teachers will answer three and four follow one and two? It doesn't. It doesn't follow. There is no logic there. But here's the thing. Teachers, and so do we, know in our gut that if we answered to a student questions three and four the same way we answered one and two, you're just an accident, it doesn't really matter, then it's live as hedonistically as you want, you know, go do whatever, that society would come apart at the seams. So they don't answer that way. They feed in morality, and then intellectual integrity falls apart at the seams because you can't have both. That's the illogical nature of the naturalistic answer. And it comes back to what Solomon's saying. Life without God makes no sense. Now, I know people would push back because I've talked to a lot of uh, atheists and agnostics, and, and I enjoy talking to them, and sometimes I find it helpful for them to point these things out. But sometimes people will come back this way. They'll say, well, you know, I'm a thinking person, and if I ever do end up meeting God, which I don't think I will, but if I did, then I would just tell God, why didn't you reveal yourself to me? You didn't make yourself known to me good enough. And, and then they feel like, I'm going to have a comeback to God. I'm going to have an answer for him, and it's going to be his fault, not my fault. And I'm going to have an excuse. But I just want to let you know, Paul says we are without excuse. And here's the way Paul says it in Romans 1 in the New Testament. He says, for since the creation of the world, talking about all creation, for since the creation of the world... His, meaning God's, invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Paul's saying, hey, creation doesn't disprove God. Creation proves God. And we can see that today. New scientific discoveries keep pointing people to God. Unfortunately, when they're interpreted by scientists who have a narrow view by limiting themselves to a naturalistic philosophy that there can be nothing beyond nature then they don't see it that way, and so they slant that different ways. But we're saying we should have a broader view of science in that our first answer, the first place we look, is for naturalistic causes and reasons, because God created. But if those reasons don't make sense, if they don't add up, then we're, our minds are open enough to, open enough to say, Maybe there's something outside of nature that's causing this. Like, where did life begin? And on and on and on. And so, that, and, and that's how we're saying. But again, that's a whole nother sermon, right? And, and we've done that before and we'll do that again. So let me get off that because we'll go all day on that. 
But what, I'm just wrapping up this way. Naturalism as practiced today, atheism and agnosticism as practiced today is not logical regarding God's, regarding life's biggest questions. Only life with God answers those. Now, so that's one way. That's one false answer, the illogical answer of naturalism. And then the other way to answer this of the three, the second way, is the empty chase of satisfaction. Naturalism, more of a head answer. And the chase for satisfaction is a little more of a heart answer. So people think, well, you know, I'm just living my life and maybe God's in the picture, maybe God is not in the picture, but it really doesn't matter. I'm living for me. And I'm going to chase satisfaction and fulfillment in all these different ways. And then Solomon works through his book about all these different ways. Remember, we've talked about, you know, living for pleasure or sexual pleasure or living for work and achievement or living even for wisdom and knowledge. We've been through all these the last few weeks, and Solomon keeps telling us, yeah, you can do that, but what I found, and he said, I have the resources and the ability to do it all. Remember, he's the guy that had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines, sexual partners. He's the guy who was extremely rich, did building projects and everywhere. He's the guy that everybody saw achieved greatness He's the guy that had the most of all the kings. He's the guy that was considered the wisest. And he's saying, as I chased all those things for fulfillment and satisfaction, he's telling us they all came up empty without God in the picture. They make no sense either. And that he spent his time doing that. Now, please understand, Solomon's not saying don't have fun, don't enjoy life. As a matter of fact, in the second to last chapter of his book, in Ecclesiastes 11, 9, it says this, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But then he says this, Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these, those things. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Hey, rejoice in your youth. Go do what you want to do. Have fun. Have a great life. Oh, just remember, you're going to be judged for anything you do. It's kind of like, whoa. It's we can have enjoyment, but remember, there is a God, is, is what he's trying to say. There's nothing wrong with being rich or even powerful, and it's God that created sex. But he's saying, hey, why, why is it good to be rich so you can be generous, so you can help people? It's, it's okay to be powerful. Just never use your power to oppress someone. You know, use your power for good. Hey, sex, that's God's idea, but it's most fulfilling in a lifelong relationship with a person of the opposite sex that you have married. That's what he's telling us. But people think they're smarter than God in areas like sexual relationships. And then when they're out there chasing these things, you know, well, many here have done that. How's that working out for you? 
it leaves most unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And so because of that, a lot of people that are just chasing this pleasure, well, then they think, well, they think it must be a technique problem. I must not be doing it exactly right because it's just not fulfilling. And that's why when you stand in line checking out at a grocery store, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's magazines there. And on the cover of almost every magazine is how you can improve your sexual technique. You know, I mean, every magazine. It could be Auto Trader there, and there'd probably be like a, a, a thing on the cover saying how to really make her engine rev. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. It, it's just there. Like you're not getting, that's not the problem. The problem is we're not doing it in the confines, in the guardrails, in the area that God says we should enjoy this in. For most, chasing sexual fulfillment outside of marriage, it just brings heartbreak and pain and sorrow and disease and insecurity. You know, that, that's what you're left with. Listen, God's not trying to take something away from you. God is trying to give you something that's better. That's what Solomon's telling us. And apart from God, life will leave you empty as you chase all these other things. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.2, one of, one of Forrest's favorite verses, I think it says, it is better, or he quotes it a lot, but it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Because that's the end of every man. And the living, take it hard. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, better go to a funeral than a party. Why? Because the end, that's the end of everyone, is that we're, we're going to die. We're either going to die young or we're going to die old, but we're going to die. And we should think about that. And it's good for us to think about it. The shortness of life and the reality of death aren't pleasant thoughts, but they produce wise living. Is what Solomon's telling us. Both naturalistic people, atheists and agnostics, and just your typical Solomon or most Americans today that are chasing fulfillment in stuff, they all feel in their heart that there's a sense of morality. And you see this all the time. You see it on Facebook. You see it everywhere. What they will do as they live their life. And some of these people can claim to be Christians. But really, they're living their life completely apart from God. And so they can trumpet that. I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. Or they can just be a lukewarm, you know, just kind of like a Christian who, yeah, I say I'm a Christian. But... And then they have this inner sense of morality that there is a right and a wrong. There's a good and a bad, but they don't want to submit to God's morality because that's not fitting their style. So they create their own morality by, by championing, championing some cause. You know, it's, uh, it's this, or, you know, it's rescue animals, or it's PETA, or it's you know, whatever the cause is, and they champion, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, I'm just saying, they champion some cause 
to make them, that, that does not limit them in their own personal reality, morality. They can champion some cause and then they can feel morally superior over other people because they have this inner sense. The problem, though, is God is judging us on his standard, not our standard, and his standard is right here in his word. It's huge. And, here, and, and so we run into people all the time, and they'll say, you know, we'll talk to them about God, and they'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making it sound like I'm not right with God, but I'm a good person. Right? This most misunderstood thing about Christianity. Good people do not go to heaven. But I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, Good people. Number one, none of us are good people. None of us live according to God's standard. Ever read the Ten Commandments? None of us live up to this. But, but I'm a good person. Well, no, you're not. But good people don't go to heaven. It's people who know they're not good people who come to faith in Christ as a way to be with God. You have to know you're not good to be. Christians aren't hypocrites. True Christians are the people who know I'm jacked up. I deserve separation from God forever. Me, Kevin Pinkerton, I deserve separation from God forever. No doubt about it. It's not even close. I'm a pastor. It's not even close. I have one chance. Jesus. That's it. That plaque that we put in the kitchen at the Fremont Police Department, here's what it says. It's also written by Solomon, Proverbs 21, 15. It says, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. We can look around our world and see people who have been brutally put down by regimes that have come in and just taken over their lives. And those people are right to cry out for justice. But the question that, that we end up with, okay, so if, if it's illogical to have a naturalistic view, a view of life without God, if it's empty to just chase all these things in life, even though we might know there's a God, we just don't really live like he's in charge of us. We, we live to do our own thing. If that just results in an empty life, then what's the answer? Well, it's the logic and the fulfillment of doing life with God. That's what Solomon wants us to see, and that's how he sums it up at the end of Ecclesiastes in the last two verses. He says it this way. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Solomon boils all down, and really he's answering the, that fourth question, how should I live? Well, fear God 
and keep his commandments. By the way, fear God. This is how we fear a good father who disciplines us, whom we love, respect, fear him, and keep his commandments. Try to do what he says. Live like his commands mean something. We live wisely when our life's focused on God. So how do we have a life with God? How, how do we fear him? Well, we respect him. How, how do we keep his commandments? What does that mean? Well, God invites you into relationship with him. And he doesn't invite you, and, and you have to be how you should be. He invites you into relationship with him as you are, the, the morally flawed person you are, as, just like he did me. But the thing is that, that we often forget is it's God that decides what's good and evil. And we have to be very careful that we're not judging God because it will not be that way at the end of our life. I mean, even Solomon had the Ten Commandments. Do you remember some of these? Never lie. Never steal. Never commit adultery. Always honor your parents. Keep one day a week, you know, reserve for God the, the Sabbath. Always keep God first. And I mean, we do not, nobody here has kept these commandments. That's God's standard. That's what we should be doing. And we've all failed. Why? Well, because God created us. He created us with the ability to have a relationship with him freely. And because of that, we've all used that capacity to rebel and do our own thing. We've all done the Solomon thing to some extent. We've all done that, and we're all guilty. And because we're not guilty of offending our spouse or our friend or even our enemy, we're guilty of offending our pure, righteous, and holy creator, the consequences of that are a lot greater. And the consequences for all of our sin are separation from a holy, righteous God forever. And for people who are atheists and agnostics, look at it this way. The God that you've been keeping out of your life will grant you that when you die. You'll be separated from him forever. And for people who call themselves Christians but don't live like God has anything to do with them, well, God will grant you in death what you wanted all your life, even though you could not deny God exists by seeing the order and creation all around you. You still just live for yourself. You still just live with no thought about God. Well, then you're not a true believer, chances are, and you'll spend eternity with God. Well, well then how do you have a relationship with God? Well, it's the good news, or what we call the gospel, which means good news. And that is, even in our sin and our rebellion, God loves all of us. And God makes a way, but we have to come to God on God's terms. And God says in his word that his terms are that we come to God through faith. And, and because we messed that word up, let, let me explain it to you. Faith is simply believing that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, 
and trusting in the fact that his death on the cross paid for our sins. You see, what happened is because God is just, he can't just wave sin away. It's against his character. He can't just say, oh, that's okay. That's not justice. That's mercy. But God does both, justice and mercy. And the way he does that is sin has to be punished, but he paid for our sin himself through his one and only son, Jesus, who voluntarily came to earth, lived a perfect life without sin, and then he took infinite God for a time, took the consequences of all of our sins on himself to pay for our sin debt. But that doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to those who come to God on God's terms, and God's term is faith. And faith means that we believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God and that we put our trust in the fact that his death on the cross paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, as individuals. And when we turn to God and trust him like that and realize that our forgiveness is a total gift, that we do not deserve, none of us deserve it, not me, not you, then we react to him with gratitude and we want to follow him with our life. And if there's no want to after that, if you're just thinking, yeah, 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 check off these boxes, I'm good, yeah, I'll ask for forgiveness so I can live my own life and have no consequences, then you're, you're probably not really getting it. Because when we really come to faith, we're overwhelmed with gratitude, realizing what God has done for us and the cost that was paid for us. And it changes our life, has to change our life. And so the question is, which answer will you live out today? Naturalism, not enough evidence, whatever, can't go there. It's illogical, but I'm going with it. Do your own thing, second answer. Yeah, there, there's a God, and yeah, he should be over everything, but man, I'm here, and I'm doing my own thing, and yeah, you know, I kind of got that in the back of my mind, but man, I'm chasing all my fulfillment in these things, pleasure, sex, achievement, work, even wisdom or knowledge. Uh, that's, that's where I'm getting my, that, that's what I'm, all my eggs are in those baskets. That's going to leave you empty. Solomon knows he tried it. Or you're going to simply turn to the God who loves you with action and that he allowed his one and only son to come and be tortured to death on the cross to pay for your sins. But you have to come in faith. Before we close our service, I just want to, uh, to actually invite you if you are sitting here and you're not sure whether you're connected to God or not through faith, it, it's a faith, it's a trust issue, and, and I can lead you in a prayer that's just an expression of that faith, but only you and God know if that's sincere. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you can just pray silently, because God knows your heart, and, uh, and if you're sincere, 
This is what it means to become a Christian. And once you become a Christian, God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So let's bow our heads together. And again, if you're not sure where you stand with God, then you can pray this prayer, which probably the majority in this service have already come to Christ and did something similar to this. Just pray something like this silently to God who knows your every thought. Father in heaven, I thank you for being here and just hearing about your love for me. And Lord, I know I don't deserve forgiveness when I start realizing how I've violated your standards through my life. But I've also come to realize that not only am I worse than I thought I was, but you love me more than I ever realized and that you paid a price for me. And God, right now I'm putting my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for my salvation, realizing I can't contribute anything to that. It's all Jesus. And based on what he has done for me, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. I also want you to come into my life and help me to follow you. In Christ's name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We have some, uh, some materials for you. If you prayed that prayer, and if you kind of want to remain anonymous, uh, there's actually right in the corner of the platform over there is a little black basket with some uh, kind of white bags, and those bags have a little bit of literature that you can look at and kind of confirm what you did in the privacy of your own home, and, and maybe you're more of a private person. We also have those same things back here in room one, and there's some pastors that'll be standing back here, and we'd love to talk to you. And so if you have questions or you just weren't there yet, hey, we totally get that. We've all been there, and we'd love to answer any questions you have or maybe give you one of those packets to read through. But either way, we're, we're glad that you're here, and especially uh, representing the, the law enforcement agencies in our area. We appreciate you. We love you. We're glad that you're here, you're doing a job that needs to be done and is sometimes thankless. And we want you to know that we thank you for doing it. And uh, all our guests, just a reminder, whether you're police or not, that you can go back and uh, if you turn in your card, we have another gift for you. But thanks for being here. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thanks for the day. Thanks for Grace Community. Thanks for uh, the several who have come um, representing police departments today. And Lord, we know in our next two services, we'll experience the same. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us, help them feel appreciated. Lord, but we, we thank you most for your son and what you've done for us that we don't deserve. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. You're dismissed. See you back next week. We're starting a brand new service. And if you're a member, don't, don't forget those brochures. Thanks for watching and we hope to see you next week here at Grace.